0: In the suburbs of Detroit, on a rainy or snowy day, there isn't a whole lot to do. Thankfully, there's a place in Dearborn, Michigan that can help you kill a few hours and maybe teach you a few things while you're there. Dearborn is home to the headquarters of the Ford Motor Company. Had I followed in my father's footsteps, I might be working there now. I didn't, so I'm not. Instead, I'm here with you. Hi. The Henry Ford Museum and its outside counterpart, Greenfield Village, opened to the public around 1933. But on October 1st of 1929, Henry Ford hosted a celebration in honor of his friend Thomas A. Edison. Known as Light's Golden Jubilee, the event marked the 50th anniversary of Edison's invention of a practical incandescent lamp. In attendance were Marie Curie, George Eastman, John D. Rockefeller, Will Rogers, Orville Wright, and around 250 others. The event was broadcast on radio stations around the country and hosted by President Herbert Hoover. At the turn of the century, around 1906, Henry Ford began his process of collecting items of historical interest, oftentimes spending his own money and going to great lengths to acquire new pieces. He collected homes, machinery, exhibits, and an array of Americana. Since 1929, the Henry Ford Museum and Greenfield Village have turned into the largest indoor-outdoor museum complex in the United States. When explaining his museum to people, Henry Ford said this, I am collecting the history of our people as written into things their hands made and used. When we are through, we shall have reproduced American life as lived, and that, I think... Is the best way of preserving at least a part of our history and tradition. The countless times that I have visited both the museum and village, I've flip flopped on which I enjoy more. Each section offers a completely different feel. At Greenfield Village, you can look into Noah Webster's Connecticut home, the Wright brothers' bicycle shop and home, a replica of Thomas Edison's Menlo Park laboratory complex from New Jersey, Henry Ford's birthplace. Henry Ford's prototype garage, where he built the Ford quadricycle, poet Robert Frost's home, as well as the Logan County, Illinois Courthouse, where Abraham Lincoln practiced law. You can take a ride in a Model T or on a train around the village and get a good look at the covered bridge from Pennsylvania built in 1832, a Cape Cod windmill from 1633, and the 1913 Herschel Spillman Carousel. In the museum... You have things like the 1961 Lincoln Continental that President John F. Kennedy was riding in when he was assassinated. George Washington's camp bed. An Oscar Mayer mobile, Thomas Edison's alleged last breath in a sealed tube. The bus on which Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to give up her seat. It's a favorite of my daughter's. There's also Buckminster Fuller's complete prototype Dymaxion House, which is a favorite of mine. And a possible topic for a future episode. You can see Ford's collection of several 17th and 18th century violins, including a Stradivarius. There's a prototype helicopter, various steam engines, record setting race cars, and the Fokker tri motor airplane that flew the first flight over the North Pole. That is another personal favorite of mine because I have the sense of humor of a 12 year old and I like saying Fokker. At the risk of losing some man points, I'm not a car nut. Being a museum created by Henry Ford in the city that houses the headquarters of Ford Motor Company, there are obviously hundreds of various automobiles, if that's your thing. You know my thing by now. I like the strange, the macabre, the things that CNC Music Factory sang about in 1991, the things that make you go, hmm, which leads me to an exhibit that has become my favorite to observe in more recent visits to Henry Ford Museum, the rocking chair from Ford's Theater, in which President Abraham Lincoln was sitting when he was shot by John Wilkes Booth in 1865. I get these nerdy history chills just looking at it, with its mystery stains and tattered cloth that was last touched by one of the most iconic presidents in our country's history. According to the Henry Ford Museum's website, after his assassination, photographers sold pictures of the chair to a public eager for images, in an age before photojournalism. The chair was used as evidence in the trial of the conspirators, and after that, it sat in storage at the Smithsonian Institution for decades. In 1929, the chair was reclaimed by the widow of Ford's Theater co-owner, Harry Ford, and was soon auctioned for $2,400. The buyer was an agent who purchased it for Henry Ford. Henry Ford revered Abraham Lincoln. And while I'm not a political junkie, And this is not another podcast about President Lincoln. I was very interested to learn more about the Lincoln family, a family whose bad luck didn't end or begin with Honest Abe's assassination. One family member, in particular, thought that they had the worst of the bad luck. That's who this episode is mainly about. Episode 15, Bad Luck Lincolns. Robert Todd Lincoln was born on August 1st, 1843, in Springfield, Illinois. He was Abraham and Mary Todd's firstborn out of their four sons, and as we'll learn, the only one to really make it to adulthood. Robert was an only child for nearly three years. In 1846, his first brother, Edward Baker Lincoln, was born. In that time, they saw very little of their father. Abraham Lincoln had become a prominent figure in the Whig Political Party while serving four terms as a member of the Illinois State Legislature. By early 1850, six-year-old Robert endured his first loss. His brother Edward died a month before his fourth birthday. The cause of death was listed as chronic consumption, which was a word they used for tuberculosis back in the day it's been suggested though that edward actually died of thyroid cancer robert didn't need to wait long for another sibling old abe and mary todd got to work shortly after edward's death and before the end of 1850 william wallace lincoln was born in 1853 as robert neared the age of 10 the lincoln family welcomed their fourth and final child thomas thomas was given the nickname tad by his father who thought his big head and tiny body made him look like a tadpole. Tad very quickly became Mary Todd's favorite child. Over the course of the next few years, as the three Lincoln boys scampered around their Illinois home, Abraham Lincoln continued to practice law and began feeling the itch to return to politics. This was largely due to the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which allowed slavery to expand beyond the boundaries set by the Missouri Compromise of 1820. Lincoln ran unsuccessfully for a Senate seat in 1855. And came up short on votes for the vice presidential nomination in eighteen fifty six. At the age of sixteen, Robert took the entrance examination for Harvard College. The Lincoln family had high hopes, but the oldest boy failed fifteen out of sixteen subjects. He enrolled at the Phillips Exeter Academy to further prepare him for college, and he graduated in eighteen sixty. After a second unsuccessful Senate seat bid, Abraham Lincoln was nominated as the Republican Party's candidate for president. As Robert was beginning his college career at Harvard, having finally been accepted, his father went on to win the presidential election in November of 1860. Things were starting to look up for the Lincoln family. In February of 1861, Mary Todd, William, and Tad joined their husband and father in saying goodbye to their home state of Illinois. And by March, Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated the 16th president less than a month into his presidency on april 12th confederates fired upon union soldiers at fort sumter and started the civil war three days later president lincoln called for volunteers to help fight back against the rebellion in early 1862 as the civil war raged on both william and tad became ill with typhoid fever while tad was less affected william's condition worsened inside the white house his parents spent much of their time at his bedside he died on february 20th at the age of eleven robert had now lost two brothers both abraham and mary todd were a mess after the burial lincoln locked himself in a room and wept alone mary remained in bed for three weeks and wasn't even able to attend the funeral in what would become a curious twist of fate at some point in 1863 robert lincoln was on a holiday break from harvard and traveling from new york to washington dc at a train station in new jersey he nearly died robert wrote an account of the story in 1909 the incident occurred while the group of passengers were late at night purchasing their sleeping car places from the conductor who stood on the station platform at the entrance of the car the platform was about the height of the car floor and there was, of course, a narrow space between the platform and the car body. There was some crowding, and I happened to be pressed by it against the car body. While waiting my turn, in this situation, the train began to move, and by the motion, I was twisted off my feet and had dropped somewhat with feet downward into the open space and was personally helpless. When my coat collar was vigorously seized, and I was quickly pulled up and out, to a secure footing on the platform. And the man who saved him? Edwin? Booth. Robert Lincoln recognized the famous actor right away, thanking him by name. Booth was on his way to Richmond, Virginia, with his friend John T. Ford, who just so happened to own Ford's Theater in Washington. As you probably already know, the names Booth and Ford will show up again, tragically, soon. In 1864, after graduating from Harvard, Robert Lincoln enrolled at Harvard Law School. He had wanted to join the Army, but his mother, Mary Todd Lincoln, did everything she could to prevent her son from fighting in the Civil War. She's on record as saying, We have lost one son, and his loss is as much as I can bear, without being called upon to make another sacrifice. President Lincoln countered by saying, Our son is not more dear to us than the sons of other people are to their mothers. Robert attended the Harvard Law School from only September 1864 to January 1865, and after his mother relented, left in order to join the Union Army. By this time, the war was nearing its end. President Lincoln, having won a second term, wrote Ulysses S. Grant and requested that his son be put on his staff during Robert's relatively safe and short stint as captain under Ulysses S. Grant. The U.S. House of Representatives passed joint resolution to the U.S. Constitution to abolish slavery. Lincoln signed the official resolution, and the amendment was sent to the states for ratification, becoming the 13th amendment in December of 1865. It was now Friday, April fourteenth, eighteen 1865, and Robert stopped at the White House to visit with his friend John Hay. Hay was President Lincoln's private secretary. Robert's parents had gone out for the evening to take in a play at the Ford Theater. When the news got back to Robert that his father had been shot, he rushed to the house where they had carried the president. Robert Lincoln, despite never having a close bond with his father, was devastated and stayed by his bedside until 7.33 a.m. the next morning, when Abraham Lincoln took his final breath. He carried a great deal of guilt with him for many years, believing that had he attended the play with his parents, He might have been able to stop the shooter. Since he would have been the youngest member of the presidential party, Robert would have sat at the back of the box, closest to the door. The shooter would have had to deal with him before getting to the president. The shooter, of course, an actor named John Wilkes Booth, he escaped by jumping from the balcony of the presidential box. After breaking his leg in the fall, he escaped out the back door and rode away on an awaiting horse. Confederate sympathizers helped him evade the massive search party for 12 days until he was gunned down in a barn in Virginia, as the remaining Lincoln family mourned with the rest of the nation. The killer's brother, Edwin Booth, took it especially hard. Not only did he lose his brother, whose shared interests and beliefs both started and ended with acting, but the assassination all but destroyed the family name. Unlike his brother, he was also an ardent Lincoln supporter. In a letter Edwin wrote to the manager of the Boston Theater, he'd go on to say, The news of the morning has made me wretched indeed, not only because I have received the unhappy tidings of the suspicions of a brother's crime, but because a good man and a most justly honored and patriotic ruler has fallen in an hour of national joy by the hand of an assassin. One of the few things that kept Edwin Booth from going insane or returning to drinking, which is something he'd quit two years before, was the knowledge that he had saved the president's son from death on the train station platform. After requesting a little time to remove their belongings from the White House, Robert, his brother Tad, and mother Mary moved to Chicago. He attended classes at the old University of Chicago Law School and then studied law with a Chicago firm as the new year began on january 1st 1866 lincoln moved out of his family apartment and rented his own rooms in downtown chicago robert lincoln was licensed as an attorney in chicago on february 22nd of 1867 and certified to practice law four days later in september of 1868 he married a woman named mary eunice who was the daughter of senator james harlan from iowa together the couple had their first of three children in 1869, Mary or Mamie Lincoln became Abraham Lincoln's first grandchild. He and his wife would go on to have two more children. Abraham Lincoln the Second, nicknamed Jack, was born in 1873, and a second daughter, Jessie Harlan Lincoln, was born in 1875. Before his second and third child would come along, however, Robert Lincoln would lose his third and final brother. On Saturday morning, July fifteenth, eighteen seventy one, Thomas Tad Lincoln died at the age of 18. The cause of death has been attributed to a number of different ailments, from tuberculosis to pneumonia or even congestive heart failure. Robert hosted his brother's funeral services at his home in Chicago. Tad's body was transported to Springfield and buried in the Lincoln tomb at Oak Ridge Cemetery, alongside his father and two of his brothers robert accompanied the casket on the train but his mother mary was too upset to make the trip it was the second funeral for a son that she couldn't attend this death some people think after all of the others is what officially broke her as i mentioned over the next few years robert and his wife added to their family providing more grandkids for mary todd along with his growing family concerns for his mother grew as well mary todd's life was a bit of a roller coaster She was born in Lexington, Kentucky, as the fourth of seven children. Interestingly enough, her family were slaveholders, and quite wealthy. At six years old, her mother died. A few years later, her father remarried, and he and his new wife had nine more children. Mary never got along with her stepmother. She attended finishing school, learned French, and fell in love with politics. She moved into her sister's Springfield, Illinois home in 1839 and married old Abe, 10 years her senior, in 1842, at the age of 23. As she continued into her adult life, Mary suffered from frequent migraines. These migraines were made worse after she sustained a head injury on July 2, 1863, on a return trip to the White House. Her carriage crashed, throwing her off and causing her to hit her head on a rock. Years later, Robert would say that she was never the same after the accident. She was also depressed for much of her life, and some historians even believe that she may have suffered from bipolar disorder. A year after Tad passed, Mary Todd became interested in communicating with the dead and even visited spiritual photographer William H. Mumler. Mumler snapped a photo that has been scrutinized for over a century. The photo is of a seated Mary Todd. Behind her is the ghostly outline of her late husband. Now, Photoshop wasn't a thing back then. Or if it was, it was just in its infancy. Double exposure is a possibility, but that was even hard to pull off well. The picture is insanely interesting, whether you believe it or not. I'll post it to the website, curator135.com. By 1875, son Robert became increasingly worried about his mother. In March of that year, Mary was in Jacksonville, Florida, but became convinced that Robert was deathly ill She hurried back to Chicago, but found him healthy. He was fine. She informed her son that someone was trying to poison her, and that a wandering Jew had taken her pocketbook, but then gave it back. She got into the habit of buying expensive things that she would never use. She walked around the city with $56,000 in government bonds that were sewn into her underskirt. She had an irrational fear of poverty and fire. Robert felt that the wheels were coming off a bit. Because of this, Robert initiated court proceedings to have her institutionalized. According to Abraham LincolnOnline.org, Mary did not realize that a public trial awaited her, and was forcibly taken to the courthouse on May 19, 1875, by Leonard Sweat, a lawyer who knew both Robert and her late husband. Isaac Arnold, a family friend who reluctantly became her defense attorney, did not contest the case and allowed 17 witnesses to testify to her unstable condition, while not calling any witnesses of his own. Whether crazy, eccentric, or narcissistic, as some called her, Mary's actual mental, emotional, and physical condition in 1875 is still debated today. Some believe that her migraines were actually hallucinations, and the fact that she was addicted to chloral hydrate as a means for combating insomnia couldn't have helped much. During the trial, Robert Lincoln went on record as saying, I have no doubt my mother is insane. She has long been a source of great anxiety to me. The next day, a jury committed her to a private asylum in Illinois. It's rumored that after the verdict, she was so upset that she attempted to kill herself by overdosing. Three months after being committed to Bellevue Place, she decided that A, she wanted to live, and B, she wanted to get out of the asylum. Mary Todd sent letters to her lawyer, friends, and the editor of the Chicago Times. During the trial, the director of Bellevue had assured the jury she would benefit from treatment at his facility. With the threat of bad publicity, however, he changed his mind and declared her well enough to move in with her sister in Springfield. Mary Todd and Robert would not speak to each other for years after that. During the early 1880s, Mary Lincoln was confined to her sister's home. On July fifteenth, 1882, she lapsed into a coma and died the next morning of a stroke at the age of 63. At this point, Robert Lincoln was the last member of his immediate family still alive. A father assassinated, three brothers dead from various illnesses, and now he lost his mom. One might think that the bad luck ends there, but no, Lincoln may not have been present the night his father's life was taken but he was nearby at the White House. That was in 1865. Sixteen years later, at President James A. Garfield's invitation, Lincoln was at a train station in Washington, D.C., when the president was shot. Robert Lincoln was an eyewitness to the event. At the time, Robert Lincoln was President Garfield's Secretary of War. Being near two presidential assassinations would be a lot to handle then came a third six years later in 1901 lincoln was invited to the pan-american exposition in new york by president william mckinley he'd be standing just outside the building where mckinley was shot understandably lincoln recognized these three similar events he later refused another presidential invitation stating no i'm not going and they'd better not ask me because there is a certain fatality about presidential functions when I am present. It should be noted, just for more bad news, that Robert also lost one of his children, Abraham II, to sepsis in 1890. He was only 16. Robert Todd Lincoln, who loved astronomy and golf and tried desperately to find some light while buried underneath his father's shadow, died in his sleep at his Vermont home on July 26, 1926 a week before his 83rd birthday. What started with a man named Samuel Lincoln in 1622 ended with Lincoln's great-grandson, Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwith, in 1985. Much of the tree is filled with birth and death dates much too close together. There's been a lot of investigation into Beckwith's second wife, who did have a son named Timothy Lincoln Beckwith. She listed Beckwith as the father which would make Timothy... Abe's great-great-grandson and only living descendant. Tim is an assistant state attorney in Florida and pretty much refuses to discuss the possibility. Mainly because Robert Beckwith, the last hope to carry out the Lincoln legacy, had undergone a vasectomy years earlier. When Timothy was young, the court ruled that he was the result of an extramarital affair. Abraham Lincoln's family tree is a sad thing to look at as is the theater chair at the Henry Ford Museum. These things, however, are also reminders of how quickly someone can change the course of the future and how much impact someone can make in a short amount of time. Before I say goodbye, I'm excited to announce that my pet pigeon, Quimby, has arrived with a letter from a listener. She's a pretty bird, aren't you? The letter reads, Dear Curator, I'm 11 years old, and I like listening to your podcast. I just listened to the one about the kids who had to work, and I wonder why they weren't in school, since I have to go to school. My mom listened with me in the car, and now when she says Fossy Jaw, it means I have to clean my room, because I don't have it so bad. Where do you come up with these crazy ideas anyway? From Gabe, a 5th grade fan. First off, Gabe, thank you for writing. Secondly, Using Fossy Jaw to induce guilt is a brilliant tactic by your mother. Speaking as a father who doesn't get much help from his own kids, I can promise you that she'll appreciate it, and you'll feel good about yourself for helping out around the house. To answer your first question, there were schools, mostly in the north. In the south, lots of kids were homeschooled. And since they were home, and since their parents generally had a lot of work to do around the house... A lot more emphasis was on getting the work done, since that's how people made money. Eventually, enough people realized that kids needed schooling. So luckily, that's mostly a thing of the past, at least in the United States. To answer your second question of where do I get these crazy ideas, I think the shortest answer is that I'm curious. I like to learn new things. Heck, I like to learn old things. Ideas, events, and people that aren't always on the top of people's minds. As I've mentioned before, oftentimes I'll start with an idea for an episode, but through research and following breadcrumbs, I end up someplace completely different. As a kid, I didn't really feel this way, but now, I think history is cool. Thank you for listening, Gabe. If you have a question, you can get in touch with me via the website, curator135.com, or Quimby would be happy to stop by your house and pick it up. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.